It's Monday, May 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The coronavirus pandemic has disrupted the food supply chain in a way that has forced both farmers and some food processors to get creative in salvaging some food and still making some sales. As restaurants shut down, farmers and suppliers were left with an oversupply of food, specifically grown for diners and not for grocery stores. Some food processors were selling chicken and cheese in parking lots, and some suppliers were hiring laid-off restaurant workers to divide large batches of food into smaller portions made for one shopper. Julie Wernow, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, the nursing home industry is pushing for immunity from lawsuits during the COVID-19 outbreak. Nursing homes care for some of the most vulnerable and at-risk people during the outbreak, and have also seen nearly 12,000 deaths at these long-term care facilities. So far, at least six states have granted immunity from coronavirus lawsuits, and six others have given immunity to healthcare providers, which could include nursing homes. The fear is that immunity will increase neglect and abuse in some of these facilities because now they are not liable. Laura Strickler, investigative reporter at NBC News, joins us for nursing home immunity during coronavirus. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And now all of a sudden, the whole world wakes up and wants everything delivered. They want to get it at the grocery store and... We just weren't able to sort of shift that food supply uh, rapidly enough in order to fit this completely different consumer need overnight. Joining us now is Julie Wernow, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Happy to be here. Wanted to talk about food and the supply chain. You know, an interesting thing is happening with so many restaurants closed down. Uh, a lot of uh, food processors are having to get creative with how they sell off some of the meat and, and other proteins that they have. You know, a lot of times these processors and farmers will sell to retail stores for, you know, the general public to go buy on their own. And they'll also sell to restaurants. And with, when restaurants closed, I mean, this was a huge portion that uh, was left over. So a lot of them have extras and they're getting creative with how they're selling them. Uh, There's been reports that some of these uh, slaughterhouses are selling meat out of, they're parking lots, you know, in, in large in large quantities to people. Julie, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I don't think, you know, the the world maybe realizes how much of our food supply is usually directed toward restaurants. Um, but then, you know, as we all are living through, suddenly we all woke up one day and uh, all the restaurants were shut down. Um and, you know, really the amount of takeout and delivery that the restaurants are doing is, is just minuscule compared to, you know, what it was before COVID. So you have all these, you know, companies along the food supply chain that typically are selling these items in these huge packages to restaurants and food suppliers. And now all of a sudden the whole world wakes up and wants everything delivered. They want to get it at the grocery store. And we just weren't able to sort of shift that food supply uh, rapidly enough in order to fit this completely different consumer need overnight. So what you're seeing is, you know, all, you know, at a certain point, there was just so much like leftover food in one part of the food supply chain. And then in another part, you were, you know, going to the grocery store and seeing empty shelves and shortages. 
And it wasn't because there wasn't enough food. It was because the food wasn't really packaged correctly and it wasn't, um, you know, the distribution wasn't there. So suddenly you're seeing all these companies kind of just completely shift gears overnight and get really creative in order to figure out how to offload all this, this food supply. You know, to your point, uh, just talking specifically about packaging, you know, everybody's saying, don't worry, there, there's not going to be a shortage of meat per se, but right now they're saying, you know, boneless chicken might be one of the first things to go because they can't package it and process it the same way. Uh, a lot of places are not doing the deboning. So you might not get your, you know, boneless chicken legs. You're going to be getting it in thighs and drumsticks in, in larger quantities. Um, so these are little things on how, uh, you know, everything gets affected by that. And, and uh, talking about some of these creative ways that you were mentioning, Wayne Farms Chicken Plant in Dobson, North Carolina, they put out a call and said they were going to sell big quantities of their chicken. And people were driving 90 miles, 100 miles just to get 100 pounds of raw chicken from the parking lot there. Yeah, I, I talked to the plant manager there and I mean, he, he was shocked by the, you know, the number of people that wanted to drive from so far away. And these guys waited hours for this chicken. I mean, and they had reserved it in advance, but there was so much demand that they were sitting, you know, in a line of cars for hours to pick up like a hundred pounds of chicken for their, for their house. Um, and yeah. part of it, he said, he thinks might have to do with it. You know, like everyone's stuck at home. A lot of people are laid off right now. And the idea of, you know, taking a little adventure and going and picking up that much chicken wasn't such a bad idea in that moment. And in these economic times, I mean, people are getting some deals too. And not everybody, unfortunately, can take advantage of this, right? Obviously, you have to be in close proximity to one of these plants for to take advantage. But there was another North Carolina chicken processor that uh, were selling 40-pound boxes of chicken for $45. That's, I mean, like an amazing deal right there. Um, so, you know, people, as you mentioned, as we've been talking about, just this creativeness to try to get rid of this oversupply of stuff. And and it's tough. These businesses have lost up to 40% of their businesses from restaurant closures. So they have to reevaluate how what they're doing. Another interesting part of this too, I think this happened in Copenhagen in Europe. They were sell, also same, a similar thing, selling cheese out of a truck in a parking lot. Yeah, it was there, there was a food supplier that had 80 tons of cheese. So imagine like the biggest, you know, hunk of cheese you've ever seen. And it's, it's being driven around in a semi and they're just stopping at different times in different gas station parking lots. And people were just showing up and buying off like just hunks of cheese to bring home. <laughs> it was I, wild. I, I would love to see videos of that. And just going on on this, the way things are changing, even some of these places are changing their business structure, doing more direct to consumer business and packaging things and uh, teaming up with other suppliers so they can make like these uh, food boxes, like these dinner box sets and things like that. It's just everybody has had to make these different types of adjustments. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and you know, in New York City, there are a few of these companies that are getting chefs involved. And so they're, they're you know, it might be, you know, you might be seeing like this, this sort of line that you normally are accustomed to seeing between what's a restaurant and what's a delivery company and what's a food supplier and what's a farmer, just all of it just getting very blurred right now. And so you've got farmers that are becoming like delivery companies. So you've got um, restaurants that are becoming online celebrities. I mean, it's just like all over the place. People are doing whatever they can to figure out how to get this food out the door in an interesting way that consumers will buy into in this incredibly crazy time.
Well, I mean, I know that uh, uh, there's are a few restaurants that are beginning to open. Some states are starting to reopen their economy. So hopefully some of this gets alleviated. But my sense is this will be going on for a little bit of time still. You know, there's a lot of food processing plants that are closing because of illnesses. There could be some other crazy things to happen yet before this is all done. So we'll have to keep an eye out for all of that. Julie Wernow, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. As soon as we started, uh, NBC started reporting on how many outbreaks there were in nursing homes around the country and how many deaths there had been in nursing homes, my inbox started filling up with families saying, you know, I didn't know that um, there were any cases in the facility where my loved one is at. Joining us now is Laura Strickler, investigative reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about nursing homes amid this coronavirus pandemic that we're having. Nursing homes, uh, I mean, one of the major uh, first outbreaks that happened in Washington was in a nursing home. And, and I know, you know, uh, residents of these places are uh, at greater risk for contracting COVID-19. And, uh, you know, the nursing homes also have kind of this history of uh, either neglect or, you know, not being the best of facilities sometimes. So there's a lot that is all wrapped up into this. But right now, the nursing home industry is pushing for immunity from lawsuits during this emergency that we're going through. They're, they're uh, I guess, for either um, the owners of the nursing homes and even for the workers themselves there. Laura, tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, so what we found is we took a look at uh, states around the country. We found six states where the governors or the legislatures had taken um, specific steps to immunize the nursing home industry from lawsuits. We found six other states where they named healthcare providers and nursing homes would probably fall under that. So basically the nursing homes are saying, you know, we're, we're fighting a disaster here. It's, it's moving quickly. We don't want to have an additional threat of litigation for small things hanging over our heads. Um, and, you know, they're they're asking the federal government, can we have more personal protective gear? Um, can we get more testing um, of our employees so we can make sure that we're keeping our, our residents safe? Um, but this raises a lot of concerns for families who have who are unable to see their family members inside nursing homes because there you know, there are no visitors allowed, as you know. Um, and then also we don't, we're not having as many inspections of nursing homes right now because of obvious issues with coronavirus. And also the ombudsman, um, these are people in each state who are you know, allowed to go into nursing homes and, and be the eyes and ears and, and do, you know, the kind of oversight that's needed. They are also not allowed inside. So you have a lot of families saying we're being kept in the dark. We don't know what's happening in there. And then this additional lever of accountability is being removed by, you know, preventing lawsuits. And, and then you hear horror stories like the one in New Jersey where there was 17 bodies in this makeshift morgue. Um, you know, that nursing home is under investigation by the state attorney general there. Uh, and that's just unfortunate to hear those things. And, and you know, there's about 70 percent of the nation's uh, more than 15,000 nursing homes are run by for-profit companies. So this adds a layer, you know, if they're making all this money, uh, presumably, uh, you know, there should be a lot of accountability and there should be uh, a way for uh, uh, people who have loved ones in there uh, to, to know more about what's going on there. 
Uh, so what states do we have on the books that have laws like this right now? So we have uh, Massachusetts, New York, uh, Florida is considering it. Um, Connecticut has looked into it. Um, and some of the other states are um, in the process of finalizing their their immunity protections. But I, th- I think you raise a really important point that, you know, some of these families are being kept in the dark. Um, and I will tell you, as soon as we started, uh, NBC started reporting on how many outbreaks there were in nursing homes around the country and how many deaths there had been in nursing homes, my inbox started filling up with families saying, you know, I didn't know that um, there were any cases in the facility where my loved one is at. Um, I was concerned um, and I started asking questions and then I come to find out in the news that there's 20, 25 cases in there. Um, So that, that really is of great concern. Now the, the federal government has said they are now going to start tracking um, the number of deaths and the number of cases in nursing homes and that where the outbreaks are located. They said that last week. They said they were going to roll out some new reporting this week so that people could look up, you know, is my loved one in a home with uh, coronavirus in case that facility was not being forthcoming? That still has not has not surfaced. Yeah, I mean, right now, just by some some of our latest counts, there's about 12,000 people who have died at nursing homes, and, and that number can change pretty rapidly. But two questions that I had about this, because you know they're they're giving these nursing homes immunity, and what I was looking at uh, from your reporting here is that you know so they're trying to lower the bar, things uh, known as general negligence. People could still do lawsuits for gross negligence. So I had a question though, but what does general negligence mean? And then also on the record keeping, uh, record keeping, because. They're saying that they, uh, some of these places don't have to keep records. What kind of records are we talking about? One of the concerns is that the, um, there's a lower bar of negligence. Um, and then there's what's known, as you said, as gross negligence, which is extreme neglect. So what the industry is saying is that extreme neglect would still be allowed in court. But some of those lawyers who would be fighting those lawsuits are saying, you know, it's a higher bar. It would be an extra argument we would have to make. And the judge may say, you know, this doesn't meet the standard. And some of the documentation uh, that's really critical are things like hand washing or, you know, it is valid to say that the nursing home industry is heavily regulated. So pretty much any time a staffer has an interaction with a resident, there has to be some documentation. And so what the industry is saying is, look, if you have, you know, maybe some staff are out sick and you're going from room to room um, and you need to to move quickly to see as many patients as possible, you know, stopping to document everything that you do along the way, is it causing you to, to overlook some critical things on your job? You know, there's always the flip side of that, which says, you know, if it's, if the state wants to come in later and check out, you know, what did this nursing home actually do when nobody was looking and no one was in here, um, there won't be as much documentation to go back and look at. Right. And that's, right. I'm, that, I mean, right away, I'm just hearing that that could be a tricky issue right away. Cause if something does happen and they're not keeping those records, yeah, it's going to be much more difficult to hold them accountable, whether it's the worker or something more systematic there. So right away, you can see some problems running into that with, you know, lax record keeping uh, rules. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that, that really is the concern of some of these um, nursing home resident advocates who are saying, you know, at, right now it feel, it's starting to feel like nursing homes are a bit of a black box. And wh- one thing to keep in mind is that 
there are nursing in nursing homes are are ranked by the federal government one star to five star. Um, so there are there is a certain group of of nursing homes that were already challenged going into this pandemic. The one star facilities. Um, there's you know more than 500 600 homes that are on a federal watch list. Um, so we're in the process of going through those to see you know how do they stack up in terms of the outbreaks that they're having or are they not having any outbreaks at all. Um, so the one to five star structure tells you often, you know, if you're in a five star facility, you're probably going to get better care. So we've been spending our time focused on some of those one star facilities. We all often look to New York throughout this just because they kind of are this epicenter here for the United States. And I know the, uh, New York is one of the states that have granted immunity to nursing homes, but how, so how are they, uh, going with this? I know the governor signed all this uh, issued an executive order in March, providing some broad immunity and civil liability for nurses and doctors and healthcare facilities. How have they been approaching all of this? There's a very strong push in the state of New York by the nursing home industry, um, which, as you said before, is made up of both for-profit and nonprofit providers. Um, and they pushed very hard to get this fairly early because I think they saw the writing on the wall, the speed with which the pandemic was progressing in New York. Um, and they moved very quickly to not just get, um, as you said, uh, immunity for healthcare providers, but also specifically in, in the, in the language for nursing home providers, for the doctors who work there, the nurses, um, any level of staff. Um, and I think that there are, um, you know, once this comes to a close or, you know, the next chapter of this, when people begin to look back in New York and see what actually happened in those nursing homes, there's going to be a lot of questions. I have a number of people who've contacted me from New York nursing homes, uh, both staff as well as um, family members who are concerned about their loved ones. So there's going to be a lot of after action assessment of what happened. Have we seen a lot of lawsuits already that are coronavirus related uh, with regards to nursing homes? I, I know we're kind of still going through this and, you know, there could be a lot longer before we get all through this. But have we begun to see any action like that yet? We've begun to see some, but basically, like, you know, I was even looking back at a, a nursing home lawsuit that was uh, filed in in December for a separate issue. And basically the courts have pretty much ground to a halt because you can't serve anyone with a, um, a lawsuit right now. You know, this, the, the people who actually go out there and serve lawsuits, they're not working. So everything has pretty much been ground to a halt. Um, I think once the courts open back up, you're going to see a flood of claims that are going to be coming in from around the country. Well, we'll have to keep uh, an eye out on this. I mean, as I mentioned before, this is uh, these are locations where some of our most vulnerable citizens are, are cared for. And um, I, I obviously, you know, we want to protect the people that are working there and, and, and trying their hardest too. But at the same time, it is a balance. You know, you don't want anybody to fall through the cracks and and have these hot spots and outbreaks that, that pop up like that. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out. Laura Strickler, investigative reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.